Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Well, welcome back for episode 22 of the podcast. I am your host, Aaron Batty, and we're going to be talking about what country music teaches us about God and the Bible. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy recording it with Aubrey Smith. Ari, um, he he likes country music more than I do, I think, and he has a lot of insight and mo- a lot more theory uh, into to, into the music itself. I thought he was a really good person to bring on for this episode. Because of the length of the episode, I'm not going to be doing full segments today, but we will have a commercial here in just a minute to transition into the, the main dish. Before getting into that, I did just want to give a heads up. If you are from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, or the surrounding communities, and you listen to this podcast by chance... I am doing a teaching series coming up over the next month, actually five weeks. So extending from September a little bit into October, I will be preaching every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon on the theme, what is the gospel? So I'll be explaining in the first lesson what the gospel is and then talking about closely related topics uh, from there. So if you are close to Summertown, Tennessee, plan on coming out to 30 North Old Military Road, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., Sunday afternoons at 5 third Sunday is always at 2 p.m. And come on out and listen to what God's Word has to say about what is the gospel. I'd love to see you there. Uh, share this episode for others to, to know about this teaching series and to learn about country music theology, as I talk, as I call it in this episode. Okay, coming up next, a quick commercial from Glutton Guard and then the main dish. Maybe you go to a church that loves their after-church dinners. All the ladies bring bukus of food and crockpots and everything else. A prayer is said, and then a whistle is blown as human hyenas fight, climb, and crawl over each other to get to the food first. These creatures are otherwise known as Christians. They gorge and gorge until their bellies swell the size of a 39-week mother needing an epidural. And if you close your eyes and only listen with your ears, you might actually mistake the moaning and groaning for a delivery room. This is called gluttony. Of course, the Bible speaks to this lacking of self-restraint, and Glutton Guard knows this very well. So the designers and creative planning team at Glutton Guard have made this new vest to help alert you to when you should stop eating. You strap on the vest just before getting in the potluck line, and as you eat, it has an elastic lining that stretches with your belly. As the lining starts to stretch, a sensor goes off and a fire alarm signal starts to blast from the vest itself. This way you know when you sinned, and so does everyone else. It saves time with having to make a confession because everyone knows exactly what you did. At most churches that have started to use Glutton Guard, prayers have dramatically and exponentially increased. Some have stopped having potluck dinners altogether. Whip your congregation into shape with Glutton Guard. Visit gluttonguard.fakenews.com for more information. Okay, we're back for another Main Dish episode with Aubrey Smith. Aubrey, why don't you say hey to everybody? Hey, I appreciate Aaron for letting me on the podcast and uh everybody who's listening to this for allowing me to take up a little bit of your time aubrey is the most famous well the second most famous uh podcaster that i know uh co-host oh you're really the the main host i guess yeah of the I'm yeah of the missitucky jaw podcast network get it get it right now i'm, I'm the host eric's all he is is the star all he is the ta- oh. talent Eric Bullock, and we tried to get Eric Bullock and Aubrey Smith on here. I did, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't quite pull off that because the star was just a little bit more busy than the host. Tends to be. Um, by the way, I think are, are y'all ever planning on this? Is just a sneak peek for people. Are y'all ever planning on reuniting and doing that again? Well, uh, we have not recorded an episode since we got married. If that tells you anything, so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it'd be nice if we could, but we're both pretty busy, and it's a lot more difficult to plan around four people's schedules than it was to plan around two. So, uh, what you're what you're really saying is, after the honeymoon phase wears off in about three years, we'll be doing the podcast again. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> okay, we'll get to know. There you go. If you haven't checked out Miss Ducky Jaw, go check it out. It's a pretty good uh, comedy podcast, I guess is how it's categorized. But today we are going to be talking about. I almost said the word of God because this is five minute Bible study, but and we of course we are going to be talking about the word of God in response to the main course being country music. 
So some of you guys that listen to this, maybe you're like me and you like country music. I should qualify that because what we're going to be talking about today, some of these songs really are not country music. They they classify in the genre, but man, what do you call this modern stuff? What do you think, Aubrey? Uh, it's it's hard to say. Uh, it's pretty heavily pop influenced, obviously. So uh, you got to consider that element. But of course, they they they're talking about trucks and uh, <laughs> beers and so on. And so as a result of that, they feel like they can classify it as country music. But production wise, it's pretty pretty pop influenced. I mean, if you take two seconds to look at Jason Aldean, I don't know. Even- know if anybody listening to this knows who he is but if you look at him that's not a country that's not a cowboy it's certainly not a cowboy it's it, when i don't look at him i don't think of a country dude i think of a redneck yeah. maybe did you see the news story it wasn't, wasn't too long ago a few months ago maybe of uh kane brown how he got lost on his own farm <laughs> and <laughs> no. he had to yeah they had to send in like a rescue crew oh, to, my word. to get him out because he got lost <laughs> He's, yeah, more so. He looks more like a rock star or something. I'm not a rock star. But anyway, uh, we could keep on talking about silly stuff like that. Just the point being, as much as these songs, uh, well, these singers are not really country music stars, neither are they deep theologians, uh, as they try to be sometimes. And that's really what we want to talk about. Um, I haven't titled this episode yet, but at least the title I've been operating with is uh, Country Music Theology. I'll probably make it a little more simple title by the time this gets published, but uh, you find yourself listening to some of these songs and turning them off, and then the ones that you don't turn off, about the third and fourth time I listen to them, I finally listen and hear what they're actually saying, and I think to myself, wow, I'm either losing brain cells or I'm on a fast track to false doctrine, <laughs> because that's that's what it seems like a lot of these songs are teaching stuff that you just cannot find in the Bible, but passing it for the Bible. What do you think? Oh, no doubt. Uh, country country music, some of the key themes in country music have always been things like uh, family and faith. And uh, it seems like just as society has become more and more secularized, uh, the way that they treat faith has uh, sort of drifted further and further from the way that it ought to be treated, uh, it's we're in a pretty pitiful state anymore. I, I heard one time before we get into this as a way of illustration. You know John MacArthur, uh, pretty popular Baptist preacher, and um, you also know Dick Dynasty. Some of y'all may be familiar. If you're a member of the Church of Christ, you probably know who what Duck Dynasty is. The Pat uh, Robertsons, I think they. Um, our Church of Christ members on the more liberal end of the spectrum, you know, popularly, um, they were te- they obviously teach baptism for remission of sins. And John MacArthur was asked by somebody about what that he thought of Phil Robertson's position on baptism for remission of sins. And John MacArthur said, "If you get your theology from Duck Dynasty, that's about all I need to know." He never answered the question. And he didn't have to answer the question because John MacArthur is a very dignified man and people that respect him, they didn't need rationale, they didn't need logic. And that passed. That was sufficient for these people, you know. He made them sound silly. And that's a lot of times all that you have to do. I'm not saying that's the right method. I'm just saying um, we could do the same thing with these songwriters, but I would I would prefer to not take the the high and mighty approach and just saying if you get your theology from country music then that's all I need to know about you. But uh, we're going to try to maintain some objectivity, uh, try to maintain some neutrality here, and just take the words and lyrics of these songs for what they are and compare them with Scripture. How's that sound? Okay. And and if you get your country music from, uh, your theology from country music, that's all I need to know about you. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we got five songs lined up, and what we will do is we will list the song, or we will name the song, and we'll, we'll I'll play a clip of some of the lyrics that we will be talking about that, um, you know, where they try to teach something, some Bible principle, and then I'm going to let Aubrey be our <clears throat> be our lead here and just walk us through why is what did they say, what does it really come out to, and then is this true? Is this what the Bible teaches? Um, are they representing it fairly? 
So I think the first song that you had on the list was I Believe in You by Don Williams. So we'll play a clip here. Well, I don't believe that heaven waits for only those who congregate. I like to think of God as love. He's down below, he's up above. He's watching people everywhere. He knows who does and doesn't care. Okay. Um, Aubrey hit us with it. What do you find? Well, uh, this this is a little bit of an older song. The rest of them that we're going to talk about are uh, more modern, but I think it's just an egregious example. Uh, and he's he's pretty straightforward that this is his theology. He's not talking about it in the context of anything else. This is what he believes about God, and he's wanting to share that with us. Uh, and for those reasons and because uh, it was a very popular song um, and – even a lot of Christians, uh, a lot of people in the church that I know uh, really enjoy the song, like this song. Uh, I think it's worth talking about. But he's saying, essentially, that he doesn't believe that it matters if you're part of a church or, or specifically if you assemble on a regular basis. Heaven doesn't just wait for those who congregate. Uh, and all that matters is that you're a good person. Your actions don't necessarily uh, have anything to do with that because God knows who does and doesn't care about him. And so he's just going to base it off, base his judgment off of uh, what he knows uh, is in your heart and uh, what you believe. Well, there's several problems with that. Uh, for one thing, the idea that you can be a part of God's church without regularly assembling. So that's uh, the idea that you can be part of the universal church, the church that will assemble in heaven without being part of a regular assembly uh, is problematic to say the least. The word that's translated most often church in the New Testament is uh, ecclesia. Uh, my Greek pronunciation is not, not great, so don't give me a hard time about that. Uh, but uh, that's the way I've always heard it. And that word could very accurately be translated to assembly. That's what it means. And I don't want to make too much out of that, but uh, just the fact that uh, what God, the word that God uses to describe his community of believers is the Greek word for assembly uh, is pretty important. I think that ought to make us sit up and pay attention. Furthermore, in Hebrews chapter 10, the Hebrew writer talks about, uh, in beginning in verse 19, he kind of uh, refers back to several of the principles that he's taught throughout his book, reminding us of some of the things that Jesus has done for us. And then he tells us that there are several things that we should do in response to that. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. And within the context, I believe that refers to worship. Uh, so we should worship with a true heart. He says uh, to hold fast the confession of our hope. Uh, that's to remain faithful to the covenant, to the terms of the covenant that we've agreed to. And then he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In verse 24, so let's uh, encourage our brothers and sisters and help them in their Christian walk as well and help them to fulfill those first two obligations. Then he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching and i think the reason that he uh, tacks this on at this point is because the assembly is primarily where uh, we fulfill those three obligations we worship we commemorate the covenant um, and we preach about all the things that are uh, taught in the new testament and we uh, encourage one another through uh, just interaction and through prayer and through uh, our song service. And so if you are, if you fail to meet those obligations or if you fail to assemble, then you're failing to meet those obligations as you're supposed to. And then he goes on to say, uh, if we willfully sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And he says... Uh, that essentially someone who has turned their back on these obligations has trampled the Son of God underfoot in verse 29. 
and uh, insulted the spirit of grace. And therefore, he says, uh, he references an Old Testament passage that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and the Lord will judge his people and reminds us all that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, the Hebrew writer was writing to an audience of Jewish uh, Christians, people who had formerly been Jews and had converted to Christianity. And so when he uh, goes on and talks about uh, sinning willfully after he's after they've received the knowledge of the truth, he's probably referring primarily to returning to Judaism, to abandoning Christianity and returning to Judaism. But he doesn't say that outright. And I don't think that it would be inappropriate to say that uh, this section from verses 26 down through verse 31 applies to anyone who would neglect those three responsibilities that he listed uh, that we are obligated to perform in response to what Christ has done for us. And part of fulfilling those three responsibilities is assembling on a regular basis. Assembling at a country music concert? No. Uh, <laughs> this this would refer to assemblies of the Lord's people where you uh, meet to worship and to encourage one another and to fulfill the terms of the covenant. And according to the example of the early Christians, uh, you look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 uh, or 1 Corinthians 16, uh, first couple of verses there. The early Christians met on the first day of the week to worship and to uh, commemorate the covenant uh, and commemorate Jesus' sacrifice as he instructed them to. Don Williams is welcome in this assembly, right? Yeah, he would be welcome in <laughs> is this. Is he even alive? No, he passed away just a couple years ago, I think, but... He would be welcome in this assembly if he was still around, but uh, he'd need to make a few changes to his theological position to be uh, to better align with God's position. Is there anything else in this song that you want to comment on before we go on? Uh, well, yeah that that last statement. He knows who does and doesn't care. Now that that's sounds a lot like Santa there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Okay, never mind. I'm not even going to get out of that trail. <laughs> Go ahead. God does know who doesn't, who does and doesn't care. Uh, he knows what we believe. He knows every thought that we uh, that crosses our mind. But I think that it's important to recognize that we can also know who does and doesn't care, based on principles that are taught in Scripture, as Jesus said. In John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And those who do care demonstrate their care by their actions. Another passage along this line would be uh, Proverbs, the 20th chapter, and verse 11, where the Bible says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. So it's not enough just to uh, have some felt love for Christ. You have to demonstrate that love. And those who do truly love God and who do truly love Christ will demonstrate that through their actions so we can all know who does and doesn't care. Somebody who chooses to trample the Son of God underfoot doesn't. Another verse that I really like on that point, in John seven twenty four, Jesus says not to judge according to appearance, right? So basically don't judge the heart. Um, but he also says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 for from within out of the heart of men proceed these things and you can witness all these things these are observable things e well evil thoughts result in adulteries fornication murders thefts covetousness wickedness when you see somebody putting off grapes you can pretty much tell it's a grape tree um it ain't a it ain't a fig tree um god wants figs I mean, you get the idea. He does that. Really, I, I don't even need to confuse people more. But you get the idea. God, God has planted His tree, and He expects the fruit that He of the plant that He has planted. Yeah. Uh, and when you're putting off <clears throat> the wrong fruit, that's that's clear, observable evidence that. Okay, now I'm going to stop confusing people. <laughs> I'm not much of an agriculturalist, and you can tell I've uh, planted three, four trees, and one of them died last year. <laughs> That's what we need Eric here for. Yeah. Old ag man. Yeah. We need him for many things. Yeah. 
Um, there's another song in actually more contemporary. So I reckon, you know, a lot of younger people, if there's any young people listening to this podcast, I know a couple at least, um, you might be actually more familiar with Maren Morris. She's a lot more popular than the ancient Don Williams. Uh, she wrote and I, I think she wrote the song, but she definitely sings my church. And a lot of what she's saying in that chorus of that song, or uh, just the song in general, is the same sentiment. You don't have to congregate. You don't have to go to church. In fact, she says, um, when I put this car in drive, roll the windows down and turn up the dial, I can, can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? I feel the Holy Ghost running through you when I play the Highway FM. Um, she's, and then she goes on to say, yeah, I guess that's my church. So it's this, she's saying the same thing, just a little more subtle than what Don Williams is saying. And you, and you might, you're going to find the same message in a lot of country music songs. Cause there's a big fad today about being spiritual, but not religious, being a Christian, but not uh, a church goer. And, uh, so that's definitely something to, you know, listen for. Okay. Let's uh, go on to the next song we got, uh, coming up, Kane Brown, Worship You. Your kisses have a higher power Your body, baby, it's divine Every time I see you smile It's like I've seen the light Sleeping next to you is heaven But you already know about that Wanna glorify every part of you so bad Don't get me wrong I'm a God-fearing Christian man But if you were a religion then I don't know what I'd do Yeah, I might have to worship you I might have to sing your praise I might have to go to church, yeah Every single night and day Yeah, I might have to hit my knees Cause you laid on me like the truth And you love me like hallelujah I might have to worship you Okay, Aubrey, what do you think? Well, so let me give you just a quick country music history lesson. Over the last few years, I hadn't listened to country music radio uh, since, really since I was a kid, because in the 2010s, there was this movement in country music called Bro Country. It just kind of took over, and Bro Country was characterized by uh, just a focus on things, objects, like uh, you know, a cold beer, a jacked up truck, or a woman. They were uh, just horrible about their objectification of women throughout that decade. Uh, and a lot of the songs are incredibly degrading to women. Well, over the last few years, there's kind of been a pushback against that, which is good in a way. Uh, and I... I refer to this movement as kind of the boyfriend country music uh, <laughs> movement. And this movement is characterized by its exaltation of women as opposed to degradation of women. And we don't want degradation of women. That's no good. But this exaltation sometimes goes a little too far to the point of almost divination. And that's what happens in this Kane Brown song. Uh, this is just incredibly over the top. Uh, there's there's a lot of examples of this, but this is, uh, I think, by far the most egregious. Uh, but he is treating his woman basically as a god. Uh, in this, for all we know, it ain't even his woman. He probably ain't even married to her. That's that's true too. That's that's fair. And he even makes a statement that, uh, which it has a cuss word in it so uh this wouldn't be appropriate to play on the podcast but uh he makes a statement just insinuating that uh he is a god-fearing christian man but if she was a religion then uh he might he might would have to choose her instead uh so he might would even choose her over god as the object of worship even though he is a god-fearing christian man well uh there is one God, and He alone should be worshipped. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7, or Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 and 5 would support that idea and a whole lot of statements in the old law. Uh, 
Deuteronomy 5 and verse 7. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 7, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. In chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You should be totally dedicated to the Lord God, Yahweh God, the one true God, the only one that's worthy of worship. The Israelites failed to meet the demands of these statements throughout their history. They were punished over and over for worshiping false gods. And the Bible even teaches that these gods, these false gods that they worshiped, were created in the image of humanity. Uh, in Psalm 115, uh, speaking about idolatrous worship, he, the psalmist says that idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but don't speak, eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, noses don't smell. They have hands but don't handle, feet but don't walk. Uh, and they don't mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Man was created originally in the image of God. And he was supposed to reflect God's glory into the world around him. Over time though, man decided to create gods in his own image. And he made these gods with little ears just like he had. Little eyes like he had. But uh, these idols were dumb. They couldn't see and they couldn't hear. They were lifeless. Uh, there was nothing real about them. But in so doing, in doing that, and in then in turn worshiping what he had created in his own image, man becomes like those idols, becomes blind and deaf uh, to the truth. Uh, and that's basically what Cain Brown is doing, except with a living person. Uh, that's what he's advocating for here. He's worshiping a living woman. Uh as opposed to the creator God, the one true God that's worthy of worship. When people did try to do just this and worship flesh and blood uh, people in the New Testament, they were soundly rebuked. We have an example of this in Acts, the 14th chapter, verses 8 through 18. There, Paul and uh, Barnabas have entered into this city of Lystra and they heal a man who was lame and then the idolatrous, the pagan uh, people of that city determine that they must be gods themselves. They think Barnabas is uh, Zeus and Paul is Hermes uh, and so they try to make sacrifice and they try to worship Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas tell them Absolutely not. They run into the multitude crying out, say, why are you doing these things? And they tear their clothes and they say, we are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. Um, now, I hope Cain Brown ain't sacrificing a bull to uh, this object of his affection, but this is the same sentiment, uh, essentially, except that at least in this case, they did think that these men actually were gods. They, they were just a little bit confused on that. Cain Brown, I assume, recognizes that this woman is not God, but he still treats her as worthy of worship, and that's just problematic. Well, I'm going to go off on a limb and say if there was anybody out there riding the fence on whether there's one God or not, you pushed him over the edge and you converted him because um, you converted me. I mean, I was already converted, and you converted me. I will have to say this, though. I mean, Kane Brown, he has a very, very manly voice. And when he, tells you, when he says all these things, it is hard to get past the manliness of his voice and hear the false doctrine. So if you failed, if you failed to it and you didn't pick these things up, I just want you to feel all right about yourself that – even I can get wrapped up in his voice. And Aaron was making fun of me earlier for driving a Ford Maverick truck. And now on to song number three. <laughs> okay, song number three. Uh, this is How We Roll by Florida Georgia Line featuring Luke Bryan. 
I cannot stand Luke Bryan. I cannot stand Fuller Georgia Line. I cannot stand them, same I am. But uh, they say in this song, and uh, well, let's just play the clip here. We stick to our guns, we love who we love, and we want to have fun, yeah. We cuss on them Mondays and pray on them Sundays, pass it around, and we dream about one day, because this is how we roll. Okay, we cuss on them Mondays, pray on them Sundays, and pass it around until we dream about one day. Tell us what that's even talking about. Well, they're basically saying you can live however you want to every day of the week. As long as you go to church on Sunday morning, that's all you got to do. You're going to be saved. Uh, and there's a whole lot of country songs that contain this same basic sentiment. Uh, a lot of them don't even require you to go to church on Sunday mornings. Like, for example, the Mary Moore song or the Don Williams song, uh, Red Dirt Road by Brooks and Dunn is one that you mentioned. That Yeah, that's probably the most classic song. And that song he says... Uh, on this red dirt road, he learned how to drive. I think he found Jesus, and he he drank his first beer, and he found that heaven was full of not only uh, believers but also sinners. I got the words out of rhythm and rhyme, but yeah, that's that's the sentiment, though. Yeah, and uh, this is this is just it's not true. You can't just live however you want to throughout the week. Go to church on Sunday and expect God to accept that. In fact. Repentance is required of all who wish to be saved. Repentance involves uh, not just sorrow for your actions, but actually a, a change in your action. You gotta uh, live uh, differently going forward. Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight and Luke thirteen and three would be good examples of uh, passages that require repentance of those who wish to uh, submit themselves to Christ. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches that when we are baptized, uh, we die to sin, and we should therefore live no longer in it. And uh, true repentance produces indignation against sin, wrath against sin, and subsequent vindication, as Paul also teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Uh, I see that you opened your Bible up to 1 John. Uh, and I've, I've got that down here in my notes as well. Uh, in First John, John says, in First John, the third chapter, John says in verse 6 that whoever abides in him, that is Christ, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And he'll make a lot of statements along those lines throughout this chapter and throughout his uh, first epistle. And it's important to note that uh, when he says sin here, uh, he's talking about the continual action. That's, uh, I believe, I don't know my Greek all that well, but I think that's a present tense verb. And it yeah, indicates, continuous action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indicates uh, someone continuing in sin, which is exactly what Florida George Line, Luke Bryan, are saying that they're doing. They're continuing in sin, but it's fine because they, uh, although they cuss on the Mondays, they go to church on Sundays. Uh, that's uh, not acceptable for those who uh, wish to submit to Christ and to live the way that He wants them to live and to receive the reward that is associated with that. And we could all, we could talk about a lot of passages about this. Uh, I can verify what you're saying from chapter 1 and verse 6 on the present tense. I know for certain uh, where he says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, walk in His present tense. A verb in the Greek, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I know that one for sure. Uh, you can talk about like Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. Uh, he lists several specific things there in that context. We may look at that here in a minute. But uh, he says in Galatians 5 that those who practice the works of the flesh, uh, things like drunkenness and fornication and so on, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So uh, now that talking about the red dirt road and that line that heaven is full of sinners and believers in one sense that's true because we all are sinners and so we've all sinned at some point in time but if we want to be justified declared righteous by God then we've got to put that sin behind us and so heaven's going to be full of repentant sinners 
uh, not people who continued in sin, continued to walk according to the flesh. That's a good way of putting it. Well, we are about the 30-minute mark, and so let's uh, hasten along here. We have now arrived at perhaps the most, I don't even know how to describe it, ridiculous, inappropriate, I don't know. I, I battle back and forth between how inappropriate this song is and that Kane Brown song, Worship You. It could go either way. I just want to give a heads up. I'm not going to say the title of this song just out of respect. Um, the title of this song uses a word that refers to a place and is also sometimes used as a curse word. Um, so if you have any kids in the car, you may or may not want them to hear this. I'm giving you a heads up. Um, and just the way that he describes heaven and what takes place inside of heaven. I think it is, we're all adults here, and I think that we can handle this and and just realize this is what young people listen to. So if you don't think this is appropriate, just understand, well, there are young people in the church listening to this, okay? <laughs> so listen to what they're listening to, and let's break down some country music theology. Let's do it again. Here it goes. Can't believe that you got me in a suit and tie. I had to take a pull so I wouldn't cry You got a line out the church door saying goodbye Yeah, I believe them when they say you're in a better place You had a wild side, but you had amazing grace I know you're way off up in them clouds But if you could still hear me right now I hope you hit those ghost streets on two wheels I hope your mansion in the sky's got a ten acre field With some mud and some bugs you can lock in Make some thunder, make them wonder how you got in Hide your beer, hide your clear from a man upstairs Crank it loud, hold it down till I What do you think about that one, Aubrey? It's it's egregious and irreverent, and uh, you don't even really want to dignify something like this with a response. Uh, but I thought about that. I thought, you know, we're just we're bringing the attention of thousands of people to this song by even talking about it on this podcast. And I thought that's not even that's doing the opposite of what we want to do. But I I think you're right in your point that. Uh, there are even young people in the church who listen to this kind of stuff. And so it probably is uh, somebody ought to talk about it, uh, even though you kind of hate to in a way. Uh, it needs to be brought up. People need to be aware of stuff like this. But, yeah, this this is just incredibly irreverent. Uh, and if if I just had to use one word to characterize the problems with this, this song, that would be it. There's not a lot of specific uh things statements within the song that i want to talk about i will say uh, he says hide your beer hide your clear from the man upstairs Uh, he's he's speaking to a friend or some or a relative maybe who's passed on and he's uh encouraging him to continue living the way he was living on earth in heaven and uh i i have serious doubts that this individual based on the way he describes him here is going to heaven anyway uh but if he was he wouldn't be living that way you are so hateful aubrey yeah well i cannot believe you would say that that's what they tell me judgmental hypocrite that's true but uh continue (laughs) he says he says there in the course as i said hide your beer hide your clear from the man upstairs and clear i reckon would be a reference to alcohol as well a stronger alcohol than than beer so uh he's saying now you're gonna do some drinking up there uh and he's encouraging him to do that but just hide it from god uh as long as you keep it under your pillow or uh you know stuck away in some little corner maybe god won't notice that you're uh getting drunk uh just right under his nose in uh eternal paradise well for one thing drunkenness is prohibited according to scripture ephesians 5 and 18 uh, Proverbs 21, th- Romans 13 and 13, uh, and Paul's instructions on uh, the qualifications of elders 
among other passages, all talk about drinking. And uh, I think the clear presentation of Scripture is that drunkenness is wrong. It's forbidden. Just to plug, I wrote a whole book on this. If you want to check it out, anybody listening to this episode, it's called The Christian Alcohol. Okay. Yeah, my little sister says it's a, a great book. Uh, Posey, Posey gives it her recommendation, <laughs> so, just so you're aware. Uh, so that that's, that's one thing. Uh, and also, I think it's important to note that you're not going to hide anything from God in heaven or on earth either. Proverbs 15 and 3 uh, says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And you see Jesus on several occasions uh, reading the minds, reading the hearts of people that he's interacting with. God knows everything. You're not going to slip anything by him. Uh, and that's, again, not only true in heaven, but that's true on this earth as well. And you need to recognize that. Don't think that you're going to be able to hide your beer or your clear or anything else from the Lord above. But as far as just the irreverence uh, of these lyrics, uh, I've been studying in Proverbs with several young people. i got a few groups and leading them through Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs is all about wise living. It's about how uh, we are to live in light of what, uh, God has done in creating the world and setting it up the way that he has and about how to live in a way that honors him. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 is sort of the theme statement for the whole book, the thesis statement for the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And uh, fear there is not just uh, just that you're scared of God, that you're terrified of him. Although it includes that, you should be, to an extent, uh, scared of God's judgment, God's wrath. But it's about living in awe of God, recognizing His majesty and His glory, and being appropriately reverent as a result. And this song is about as far from that as anything that I can imagine. Uh, furthermore, you read descriptions of heaven, like the first eight or ten verses of Revelation 21, and you can see clearly that there ain't going to be any hell in it. Uh, in Revelation 21, he even says, after describing what uh, the church will look like in heaven, he contrasts that with uh, in verse... Eight, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So if you live correctly, then you can be uh, part of heaven. If you live however you want to, if you live like a sinner, a rebellious person on this earth, then you're going to go to the lake with, which burns with fire and brimstone. You ain't going to hell. Uh, much less are you going to carry those things with you uh, to the presence of God. So hitting those streets on two wheels is what he says. <laughs> Maybe not the golden streets. Might be hitting some streets on two wheels. It just ain't the golden streets. I'm sorry, that was very judgmental of me. Now now I'm the hypocrite. You know, we we are just probably terrible people for doing this podcast. I mean... What do, you, what do you think? Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Nobody else is doing it. Yeah. I mean, I this is I've never heard a podcast episode that dealt with the theology of country music up to this point. You know, I, I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons, a lot of podcast episodes, and so far nobody has talked about the theology of country music. So literally, no one else is doing it. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's got to. Okay, well, we're going to uh, put a knife in our souls one more time and go to last song on the list is Outskirts of Heaven by Craig Campbell. Now, this is a song that I actually, I like the melody of it, and I listened to it many times before 
I even realized what he was saying. And it finally, I was in fact studying John 14 recently. And at the same time, I heard this song on my playlist and I, and it hit me what he was actually saying. Um, so we'll play a clip here. Well, I, I guess I'll take the lead on this one since this was my suggestion and um, maybe you don't have any hot takes on it, but there's not a whole lot to say. It's just the the ridiculousness of it again. It's not far off from the last song in terms of making heaven, uh, 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 what's the word I should say, not appreciating heaven for what it is. You might just call this song, the what's wrong with it is the lack of appreciation for the glory of heaven and the glory of God. You know, again, go back to, like you said, Revelation 21 and 22. God literally is the light of heaven. He is the source of light and people dwelling in his presence. So when you understand all that and then you listen to these words again, and he, by the way, he is appealing to John chapter 14, the first three verses when he says, now it says in the King James in the Almighty's kingdom, he mentions a mansion that he's built just for me. Now, that's when Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, my father in his house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's referring to, his King James quote there. Now, I gladly trade it for a farmhouse with acreage in a backyard that's shaded and a squeaky front porch swing. That's where I want to hang my wings. He's saying, no, Lord, I don't want to be right in the middle of your presence um, with like the gold tapestry and all the, all the niceties, which by the way, Revelation 21, 22 is symbolic. The temple is is that it's actually the people of God trying to take something that's indescribable, God's dwelling with his people, and put it in picture form so that people can get some vague idea of what it's like to dwell in the glory and presence of God. So it's not actually a building as it's it's a spiritual place, right? But just the same, what he says about this concept even, I want my squeaky front porch swing I want my front porch just on the outskirts. I don't want it right in the middle. And it just seems to be like either this guy is, just has no clue what heaven is all about, according to the scriptures, or he has a clue and he he just wants to be somewhere between heaven and hell, <laughs> which is really what earth is, I guess. Yeah. Crazy. It, it's like the, the old Hank Jr. song, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, then I don't want to go. <laughs> and, man, I, I spent most of my childhood in the South, and I love the South. Uh, but I'd a whole lot rather go to heaven. And when I hear that song, I always think, well, Lord ain't going to make you. Uh, heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, and the Lord ain't going to make you go there. Uh, yeah. But you're not going to like the alternative. It's funny. I just had a conversation with somebody. This is on topic where you're talking about Dixie and all that. I was talking with somebody from Missouri, and – I referenced Tennessee as God's country. Now I was joking, uh, kind of. And <laughs> no, I was joking, but uh, it, it was a joking conversation. They and they said, um, I don't know. I think Missouri is God's country. And before I could even get two words out of my mouth, they had already looked up the crime rate statistics between Tennessee and Missouri. 
And apparently Tennessee has a much higher crime index than Missouri. And they said, see, there you go. And I said, no, all that proves is that there's more need for the gospel here. And uh, so that's just a shout out for the glorious state of Tennessee. Um, But all seriousness being that uh, there is no place like heaven and you ain't going to want to trade it for nothing. Well, I'm sure that uh, there are many, I know for a fact, there are many other, many, many country songs that could come up. Maybe I'll find somebody that is a critic of rock and roll and all these other genres. There's a whole lot more to talk about on a different level, and that's probably mostly just drug use that we (laughs) would have to talk about when it comes to these other genres of music. Um, But uh, maybe we'll do some more music theology in the future. I appreciate you coming on, Aubrey. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. I'll have to say that was one of the most fun podcast episodes that I've ever done. And um, maybe in the future, we'll be able to do more breakdown of either country music or some other music genre. It would have to be something that uh, the lyrics pertain to you're trying to teach something about God and, and or the Bible, you know, rock and roll, uh, death metal, that kind of stuff. As far as I know, they don't really talk a whole lot about God in the Bible, like country music artists seem to do a lot. So if maybe you can enlighten me, maybe you can share something, maybe we could do uh, rock and roll theology breakdown with somebody else. Or maybe you have other country songs that we you think bring out other uh, false points for, about the Bible and God, and, and you'd like to add that to the list, and we could do a follow-up episode. Maybe I could get Eric Bullock on here to do that. Uh, we'll see what happens. Until next time, this has been the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. 